Hello, and welcome to the Too Deep, here with Tim Hoffman, Will Stone. We're live at 5, just like we are most weeks, except for last week when we were in Memphis for spring break, yucking it up, having a good time in the land of grizzlies and Mississippi rivers and all that fun stuff. Tim, first impressions on Memphis, first time being there? Yeah, it was good. It was nice to kind of get out, get a break from school, um, get to some warm weather, you know, saw James Harden, all of them. Your Grizzlies won. Yeah, they, they did. They, they pulled right, it they out did. at the end, but. No. Yeah, no, definitely a good time. Always nice to be in Memphis. We, you know, took in the Civil Rights Museum and crossed the Mississippi River and did all the touristy, Gracelandy stuff. My grandparents hosted us. It was a really good time, you know, without without giving you too much of uh, my personal life, but there, there's that, and we just we had a good time. But it's nice to be back on the radio today, and uh, we got a pretty good set of stuff to talk about today. The tournament's in full swing. Nebraska ball wrapped up their season last night, and uh, opening day for baseball is just two days away or three days away or whatever. So, I mean, real soon, a lot of sports stuff coming up, and, you know, kind of talk about it all. But you touched on it just briefly a second ago when we were talking about Memphis, but we watched James Harden play live uh, last week against the Grizzlies. Uh, he scored 57 points in a losing effort against Memphis, but, you know, first time seeing James Harden, obviously, for both of us, but what uh, what are your takeaways from watching a guy like that? It was very impressive on in all aspects of the game for him. You know, you looked at the scoreboard at the end of the first half, and I go, he has 25 points. And it was it was a quiet 25 points. He didn't really do much. He kind of got to the foul line. You know, it didn't seem like he was taking over. Classic the game. James Harden. Yeah, classic James Harden. It didn't feel like he was taking over the game, and you know, that much. But then, you know, he really turned it on there in the fourth quarter, hitting shot after shot after shot and um the questionable yeah. foul at the end of regulation if you know he actually got fouled on the three-point line but they called it and hey, he got he is a master at getting the free throw line yeah and you know it returned to the grizzlies favors at the end with 0.1 seconds left in overtime where yeah valentinus got fouled and he made his free throw but yeah overall he was very impressive probably you know, it's weird to see a guy who could possibly be one of the greatest scorers in yeah. the, you know, eventually in NBA history, and just to see him do his thing. It was, I was happy that we got a full James Harden effort on Wednesday night. Yeah, definitely, really impressive, you know, outing from him, and you know, if not for Chandler Parsons, uh, <laughs> two threes in <laughs> overtime and a bunch of a bunch of tough rebounds, you know, and they. Memphis wouldn't have won that game, and James Harden would have gone 50, 57 points or whatever. Uh, I think it was Thursday morning. My grandpa kind of let me know that uh, let me know that uh, James Harden was only the third player ever, I think, uh, behind Jordan and Crud. I don't remember the other one. Maybe Kobe, or maybe it was Wilt, or something like that. So he's the third player ever to score two 50-point games uh, against the same team in the same season. So he's dropped 50 on Memphis twice, and I think he's averaging like 49 against the Grizzlies this year or something like that. Something ridiculous. But, hey, a W is a W, and that's what matters. And on the topic of Chandler Parsons, uh, last night, the none other than Johnny Manziel, who was actually at the game that we were at. That's true. Um, Johnny Manziel was in, in person. He has signed with the Memphis Alliance, American Alliance, Football League team, the AAF. He signed with the Memphis Express. He got some playing time, some snaps last night against the league-leading Birmingham Iron, crazily enough. I know we're not we're not an AAF podcast by any stretch, but 
on the topic of Chandler Parsons, Johnny Manziel entered the game last night, entered the stadium, I should say, prior to the game wearing a Chandler Parsons jersey. <laughs> Chandler Parsons showed up to the game wearing a Johnny Manziel jersey. The bromance in Memphis is real, <laughs> let me tell you. And Johnny Manziel got, mm, I don't know, he split the snaps with Brandon Silver, the other backup quarterback behind Zach Mettenberger, who got yes. hurt and not playing, but also on the depth chart is Christian Hackenberg of the ex-Penn State. So Big Ten fans out there, y'all know him well. But Johnny Manziel and Brandon Silver split the snaps last night, and Johnny Manziel played pretty well. You know, 13-yard rush on the first play of the game for him, his first play of the game, and he had a 36-yard completion later. He showed some flashes of that brilliance, but he also showed some flashes of uh, classic Johnny Manziel, I mean, should we say. At one point in the game, he got sacked, and... Uh, the guy kind of mocked his Money Manziel celebration, and Johnny threw a nice, not safe for work uh, retort at him, which it's all over Twitter. You can, you know, look it up. But Johnny Manziel was classic Johnny football last night, and you really can't go wrong with that. So the good thing is for Memphis, you know, we were just there, and nobody really cares about the AAF team there. Um, so you know, at least at worst, he's selling tickets for them. But yeah. that's not really what we're here to talk about. But I'm glad that we did talk about it because oh, yeah. who doesn't love talking about Johnny football? <laughs> what we are here to talk about though is a lot of basketball stuff. It's been a good week basketball wise. The tournament has started, and the uh, Nebraska ball has finished up, like we just said. Uh, but Tim, let's just start first things first. How's your bracket looking? We're we're you know through the round of 32 onto the Sweet 16. How's that all shaking out for you? So the the bracket struggled, very much struggled early on. I think my low we were at twelve point one percentile, which just wasn't wasn't up to par for this year. But we're we're kind of back. I got twelve out of my uh, Sweet Six teams. They're still in. I got all my Final Four teams still in. Big stud. We're 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 getting back up. We're crawling back up. But you know we'll see. It was. You know besides yesterday, you know with the UCF Duke game and the. Uh, LSU Maryland game there just wasn't that much excitement yeah. you know through the first four days of the tournament and no all top uh all top three seeds made it so there's your 12 teams right there plus uh three fours and a three or, or two fours a five in Oregon yeah two fours a five in Oregon so there's not there's not a whole lot of upsets there's not your Cinderella story this year but there are going to be some fantastic matchups oh, yeah. in the uh, already in the Sweet Most 16 definitely. and the Elite Eight, where you're, you could possibly have a uh, North Carolina, Kentucky, and Kansas City, um, a uh, Duke, Michigan State, Gonzaga. Uh, they will play Michigan, Gonzaga, or Michigan, TCU or, or something like that. Yeah, or Texas Tech, and yeah, that's what I meant, Texas Tech. But yeah, it's setting up to be a very, and that's what, the, and that's what college basketball needs. Yeah, I, everyone loves their Cinderella, but. You know, you want to see the Blue Buds going at it with, yep. you know, Duke and Kentucky. and Get know, the North, best teams, yeah. not necessarily the hottest teams. Yeah, get the best teams in there. And I think we're going to get that. And, you know, there's not – I could definitely see the top top four seeds making the final four. Um, I Gonzaga against Florida State um, on Thursday could be a little uh, tricky. Florida State played very well. Gonzaga also is playing very well. Gonzaga is also playing very well. North Carolina, Auburn, you know, both of those teams are playing very well. Um, and really, any of those number one seeds, Duke, Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech beat them in uh, Blacksburg probably three weeks ago. Yeah. And then Virginia, Oregon. Oregon's probably the hottest team in the nation right now. For know, sure. Coming off of 
you know, needing a Pac-12 championship to uh, get in, and they did, and they're kind of on a roll here. So most definitely, no, that's that's real solid. Um, you have Duke winning it all, do you not? I do. I so, do have Duke. Yeah, I have uh, Michigan State. So I've definitely been rooting against Duke at this point, simply because that'll make Michigan State's path a little better, and it will sink other people's brackets in the process. So and for the record, we put Canes on it too. We did put Canes on it that Michigan State would advance further in the tournament than Duke would. So. Um, very exciting to see how that one plays out. I can taste the canes now from Michigan State <laughs> winning, and everything's going to be great. But uh, a couple storylines kind of have emerged in the NCAA tournament beyond just the normal who's going to win, whatever. Um, one of them being the wild roller coaster of events that was this morning with um, Michael Avenatti, the ex Stormy Daniels lawyer, prosecutor of. Brett Kavanaugh, Donald Trump. I mean, it's like, not prosecutor, but I mean, he's everything. He's the jack of all trades for the left-wing politics, it kind of feels like. And that's not a slam on left-wing politics or anything, but that's just kind of what he's become, is is a um, kind of a torchbearer for those guys uh, in in the world of legal things. So he tweets this morning that he has groundbreaking allegations against uh, Nike, and some of the biggest names in college basketball, he says. And he's holding a press conference tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. to talk about these things. And 45 minutes later, um, <laughs> the like federal prosecutors in New York City release a statement saying uh, Michael Avenatti is being charged with extortion and tampering and all this stuff. And like, I don't know. They, I mean, they were way off the deep end. And and it does. It does appear that you know, as the facts have come out a little bit, that Michael Avenatti was trying to extort money from Nike and and all this stuff. But on the flip side, it also sounds like he might have something in that he was working with an AAU coach who got payments from Nike and Nike schools to get players to go to those places. And um, it's one of those where even though Michael Avenatti might have really messed this one up and not handled this situation well and might face jail time and all this stuff, you might actually have something with college basketball. So, Tim, kind of what are your thoughts on this? Where where does this all shake out for you? Um, you know, what do you think we could see of this kind of going forward? Yeah, it was a wild, wild morning. I, You know, I come just in class kind of following it and was like, oh, well, this is interesting. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, he's arrested. But... Yeah, this could this could be everything, and this could end up being nothing. Um, I don't know which way it's going to be. You know, we talked about uh, Duke sponsored by Nike. Uh, I think Michigan State is. Yep. You know, we got all these guys. You know, all these big blue buds that are sponsored by Nike, and you know, it could be. It could mean national championships. It could mean you know, vacate wins. You know, you never know how much weight this carries, how much, you know, in the age of fake news and everything of what, what uh, Avenatti was trying to get at here. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think, I don't think it'll be a quick process. Um, and the NCAA never really works quickly. Most definitely. And I could really see this thing kind of getting pushed to the back burner and nothing really happening for a long time unless someone brings it up again. But yeah, it was a very wild Monday morning for, you know, college bas- or college basketball because everyone's like, whoa, what's happening? And then it kind of got shut down right away. But 
yeah, we'll see. I mean, it could be interesting, and definitely, like you said, a lot of top schools are Nike, and um, you know, I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. But yeah, um, other thing that kind of the other alternative storyline, I guess, to normal college basketball, and here just real quick, you guys are listening to the Two Deep with Tim Tim Hoffman and Will Stone. And we're talking college basketball in just a little bit right now. But um, Tom Izzo is one of the best coaches of all time in college basketball. I mean, he has lots and lots of wins and lots and lots of Sweet 16 appearances and all that. And um, certainly is widely regarded as one of the greats. And his, his opinion is respected. He, he's a figurehead uh, in all intents and purposes. Yeah. And last week, uh, one of his players was supposedly not hustling up to the correct standard, and as he ran off the floor, uh, Izzo let him have it. He really ripped into him, yelling at him and chewing him for not hustling. And a lot of people were real upset by it, you know, saying, this is terrible, this is not how you coach, this is, you know, all this stuff. And then at the same time, a lot of former players and players of Izzo's, as well as just players around the league, players from different sports, everything, said... Y'all are soft. Y'all, yeah. you know, need to realize that this is how coaching is and all this stuff. And it's kind of interesting. What is your take on that? I think it's fine because personally, Tom Izzo knows what his guys need. And he probably couldn't have said that to another player because that probably wouldn't have motivated them. That probably would have tore them down. This particular player, it probably brought him up. It probably raised his game to a new level because – you know, being around these players all the time, Tom Izzo knew that that was what this guy needed to, you know, elevate his game to kind of get him motivated. Because sometimes you do, you just have to keep on poking people, you know, cattle pronging them to raise their level of the game. It, you know, we don't know what he said, um, and that's kind of where the line gets. I don't mind the intensity of it. It's just, you know, what did he say? You know, as long as there's not a physical altercation as long as you know if he puts his hands on a player you know that's that's a no-no if he says anything derogatory to himself as a human being and you know all that stuff then no it's not okay but the approach to it I think was fine how he did it was fine and yeah it was getting heated and you know players kind of had to hold him back a little bit but you know I don't I don't really see a problem with it um but yeah, Izzo knows his players. Izzo knows what his players need to get them motivated. And, you know, that, that is the sign of a good coach. And, and, to, and to be able to do that to your players, you have to earn the trust and respect that Tom Izzo has. And so props to him. Could a, you know, could a first-year coach do that to his players? Probably not. You know, that's not – they haven't earned their respect. They might just walk out on him. They might, you know – Oh, you made me upset. That that's enough. But you know, with an all-time great like Tom Izzo, who's earned the respect, who's earned, you know, the trust of the players, and you know, the big thing was, is most people were like, if he didn't do that to me, I didn't think he'd care about me, and mm -hmm. that's that's a big thing among former players. That you know, that's how I know my coach cared about me. That's how I know he wanted me to get better. Was by screaming in his face because that might just be his approach. Yeah. But yeah, as long as it doesn't get physical, as long as it doesn't, you know, get derogatory, I don't really have a problem with it. No, for sure. I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, there's so much, um, 
you know, you see from coaches trying to find the best way to coach their players. And like I said, you know, uh, Izzo is definitely one of the greats and he knows how to coach his players and to win. And as long as they're not saying, you know, it's upsetting, then they're good. But, um, other than that, you know, we're kind of, we're looking ahead to the end of the tournament. I mean, we're already into the sweet 16, you know, the tournament is majority over in terms of games played and, Obviously, we've still got, you know, the three more rounds and then the national championship game. But how do you see it all shaking out? Do you have any big hot takes in, you know, if, you know, obviously we've picked our final fours and our champions and all that. But right now, if you had to, you know, repick your final four, who would your final four team be? I don't, you know, I have the top four number one seeds. If there was one, I, I would put Purdue. Purdue, the winner of that Purdue and Tennessee game, I think will make the final four. I don't, mm. yes, Gonzaga is playing fantastic, but Purdue is playing out of their minds. Tennessee. Purdue's not on, they're not in the same part my of bad, my Gonzaga. Bad, my bad. So they would play Virginia. It'd be Virginia they would yeah. play Virginia, which I'll, that could be a very, yeah, that Purdue and Tennessee game and the, probably Virginia in that game. Well, I could see moving on to the final four. Purdue or Tennessee. Purdue's playing fantastic. Uh, Tennessee's playing fantastic. Had a really bad second half against Iowa, but, you know, they ran them out of the gym in the first half there, and, you know, that you can keep that level of play. But, I, you know, if I had to pick that Purdue and Tennessee game, I'd probably go Purdue. And then Virginia. Yes, Virginia is good. I just have a hard time trusting them. You know, oh, yeah. they, of course. You do. And they, you know, they struggled in their opening round. You know, they weren't what they win their uh, – second round game 10 15 points like they weren't dominant in any way but you know Oregon's hot and they could have some troubles um against the Ducks but uh yeah I think Michigan State will handle LSU that Auburn North Carolina game is very interesting to the fact of you know those are two teams that love to get up and down the uh floor and you're going to probably see that games and game in the 80s and 90s but if auburn can get hot from the three-point line yeah you know they could knock them off but that's the problem with a team who relies on that three-pointer is if you're cold then you're kind of yeah, you can be really cold you, you can be really cold really fast and north carolina will bounce bounce on that real quick um yeah kentucky over houston um don't think houston has enough there um that michigan texas tech game you know that's another that's another big one texas tech played very uh, good. Played phenomenal last night, and their defense is the staple of that program right now. That's a Texas Tech team that obviously Kansas is not great, but Texas Tech wiped the yeah. floor with Kansas. Yeah, and they beat, you know, they wiped uh, yesterday against Buffalo. Oh, yeah. It was a very good Buffalo team. A very good Buffalo team. And, you know, Michigan, we know what they can do um, being here in the Big Ten. But, yeah, that is a very, very interesting matchup. And that West region. You know, whoever plays yep. that one goes on and plays Gonzaga and Florida State. I mean, you know, Florida State could knock off Gonzaga. I probably wouldn't pick that one, but, you know, it could happen. You know, there's there's a lot of good game, good basketball going to be played um, Thursday through Sunday in the yeah, for sure. tournament. So Yeah, well, I got, I got Michigan State and Gonzaga out of those two. I like North Carolina and Virginia. And I know Virginia, I don't trust Virginia either, but I think that Tennessee, as 
as fast as they play, and and the same with Purdue. I feel like Virginia is going to lock down on defense. I think that's the craziest thing about this Virginia team. They're not a great team, but if they can stop you from scoring and just ice you down like they do all the time, then I think they got it. So I, I like that Final Four. I do like Houston, and I really think Houston's going to give uh, – I think I think Houston could beat Kentucky, and I think they're going to give North Carolina fits, but I think ultimately North Carolina just has too much. But, you know, we'll see. It'll be interesting. Yeah. And so, yeah. Well, we're at the point of the show where we go to our first break, and afterwards we'll be talking about Nebraska, the future of the Husker basketball program, the future of Tim Miles, and all that good stuff. And then a little bit later we'll be talking baseball and all that. So stick with us. We'll be back here in just a few moments. And we're back here talking Nebraska basketball. Tim, it was a tough tough finish to the year for uh, for Nebraska. Uh, not, not the finish they'd hoped for. They, you know, after only having, you know, six, seven players or whatever active for the Big Ten tournament and then the start of the NIT, they had, you know, magic run their way through everybody to that point. You know, they beat Rutgers. They beat Maryland. They almost beat Wisconsin and limited to Ethan Happ, all first team Big Ten three times in a row to like six points. Six points. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they did exactly what you – would hope they would do and win the backs against the wall and all that. They beat a good Butler team at home, and then they ran out of gas last yeah. night, probably both figuratively and literally ran out of gas against uh, TCU last night. But that means the season is over, and sooner rather than later, we will have word on the future of head basketball coach Tim Miles. And for all intents and purposes, it appears that he is gone and maybe that's true. Maybe it isn't. I don't want to necessarily speculate. But it does seem like the pressure has ratcheted up and they're in the midst of a coaching search. And now things are getting especially weird with president of the university, Hank Bounds, mm-hmm. leaving, who had been said to be heavily involved with the picking of the next coach. Why Why that is or how that all yeah. affects, I don't really know. But the truth is, the season is over. Nebraska has to have a head basketball coach. It could be Tim Miles. It could be Fred Hoiberg. It could be uh, any number of people. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's it's pretty wide open. But let's say, let's operate for the sake of this moment right now under the suspicion that Tim Miles is gone. He has already been fired. Bill Moose has already called him and said, Tim, you're not coming back next year. In that case... And I'm kind of just going to float you a lot of questions and then kind of play devil's advocate with you because there's a kind of a lot of scenarios here. But in that case, who are you trying to hire? Why are you trying to hire them, et cetera? What do you think your case is? Go go from there. I mean, if you've – I've said it from the beginning. If you fire Tim Miles, you have to get a top-tier coach. And the uh, biggest top-tier coach on the market right now is Fred Hoiberg. And, you know, he took uh, – Iowa State to, I think, four NCAA tournaments, a Sweet 16, got hired by the Bulls, um, eventually got fired there. And it's kind of just been uh, laying back lately. But, yeah, you have to you have to put out the money. And the assumption is, I think, the assumption is you're going to, we're going to end up paying him, you know, three, somewhere around $3 million, which is we would be the fourth school to pay our football coach $5 million and our basketball coach $3 million. Mm. So there's that for you. But, yeah, you have to go out and get Fred Hoiberg. Um, 
if if Hoiberg hasn't signed the paper. And that's the thing. I want a hundred percent guarantee from Hoiberg if we're gonna fire Miles because you know, we see what can happen, you know, changing minds and whatnot with you know, Frost almost didn't come here. Obviously Hoiberg doesn't have a job. Um right now, you know, he's not leaving a team or anything, but yeah, I think you have to go out and get Hoiberg, um, you know, pay him the money he wants and try to lure him in. So So now I'm Fred Hoiberg and you come to me and you say, Fred, come coach our basketball team, we'll give you three million dollars and I'm entertaining your offer. And at, just so we're clear, Lars Anderson, uh, sports writer at Bleacher Report yes. or Sports Illustrated, I mean, he's been a lot of places, has reported that Fred Hoiberg is all but done, signed, sealed, delivered, Nebraska's next head coach. And whether that's true or not, we have no way of knowing, yep. but that's what it's been reported. But let's just say, for the sake of saying, that Fred Hoiberg is, um, you know, signing, about to get, to Nebraska, but then out of nowhere, uh, Norfolk State beat Alabama in the NIT, mm-hmm. and Alabama decided, you know what, we're going to fire our head basketball coach, and then, oh crazy of crazies, Iowa State's basketball coach, Mr. Prom, is going to go take the Alabama job. Not necessarily that he will, but hypothetically, he's yep. going to take that job, and now, guess what? There's an opening <laughs> at Iowa State. Um, Tim, where did Fred Hoiberg coach before leaving to go to the NBA? Iowa State. Exactly. So now I'm Fred Hoiberg, and Nebraska has given me this nice, hefty offer of money to coach basketball for a quality program in the best conference in the world, and things are looking good. Or I could go back to my hometown, not hometown necessarily, but home where I got my coaching real start and where things really took off for me. What do you do if you're Fred Hoiberg in that situation and you see that Iowa State is there? Not that not that Iowa State's even going to offer him the job or anything, but yeah. that's now a scenario. And like I said, Mr. Prom over there has not even taken the Alabama job. These are all hypotheticals. But it does seem like there's reason to believe that maybe Fred Hoiberg isn't quite ready to sign with Nebraska. You know, I mean, it's it's there's a lot of scenarios yeah. or analogies this could apply to, but, you know, it's essentially that. I'm walking into the store to buy whatever it is that I want to buy, the new whatever, and I get there, and I've got my money in my pocket. I'm ready to buy it. <laughs> but then I'm kind of like, ah, maybe maybe I, maybe I want this other thing. Maybe, yeah. maybe I, ah, I don't know. So if you're Fred Hoiberg at this situation, what are you, well, like, you're making a pros and cons list because yeah. as Jim Halpert from The Office taught us, there's no <laughs> better way to do anything than make a pros and cons list. And you're making your pros and cons list with Nebraska. What's what's on that list for you? So obviously the cons would be we're not established. You know we don't have the success that Iowa State has. Um, you know, other than that, you know you'd be going back to your, um, you know, home school. You'd be comfortable at Iowa State. You would know the people. You know the program. You know the administration. All that factors in. But the pros at Nebraska would be, like you said, you have a brand new arena. You have the facilities. You're probably going to get more money at Nebraska. Um, the You're going to have full support. You're going to have a, a full arena pretty much every single time that you step the court and you're playing in the best conference. You have players maybe, you know, that's another thing with, you know, if I'm looking, if I'm Hoiberg and you're like, you know, who am I going to have if I take this job? 
you know, is Roby going to stay? Is Tom yeah. Allen going to stay? Is Nana going to, you know, who who's going to be, you know, we're already down, what, three seniors graduate, possibly four if True Blood. Fun fact, True Blood does have a year of eligibility. He does have a year of eligibility. Year, year of eligibility left for the Huskers. So we'll see how that one turns out as ESPN commentators call them. The secret weapon. The secret sauce. The secret sauce last night was probably – reiterated probably 30 times it, it was pretty cool. amazing it was something like that but yeah you gotta obviously iowa state has that stability um you know they just won a big 10 or big 12 uh, conference champion conference tournament t- championship down in kansas city uh last week but yeah i would love love for him to come here but you know i don't know and you need to have that uh, pen to paper, I think, before you do anything with Miles. So Totally. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little worried, I think, just as a Nebraska fan um, with how that they'll handle this. Um, I'm okay with firing Miles. I'm a big Miles supporter, and I think he's done about as well as he possibly could have here at Nebraska, and I think that firing him might even be not the best move ever, but at the same time, I am fully understanding, just kind of like I was with Mike Riley. I mean, I I realize now in hindsight, firing Mike Riley was 100% the best decision. But firing Tim Miles feels not necessarily like the greatest idea, but I'm okay if you're going to make it. You know, it's it's fine. I I see the logic behind it. And I've said before, and I'll say again, he's maybe not the guy that's going to take Nebraska to the next level, to – national prominence, you know, whatever. That, Tim Miles may not be a guy for that. So maybe try and find a guy who can, like I, Fred Hoiberg. But if Fred Hoiberg does not come here to Nebraska and Nebraska has to try and fish the mid-major market or, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what your alternative is after that. I mean, it's... It's Fred Hoiberg. And like you said, you know, you got to hope he has put the pen to the paper already before mm-hmm. you fire Tim Miles. But you can't necessarily operate that way if you're Bill Moose. You've mm-hmm. got to just fire him at some point and rip the Band-Aid off and say, here's what we're doing. Because Roby has to decide what he's doing with the draft. Yep. And Palmer and Copeland are leaving, obviously. I mean, that's that's whatever. But, you know, Roby has to make his decision. You've got to worry about recruiting. You've got to, you know, factor in, does a Rupp stay? Does Mike Adams Woods stay? Um Donovan Williams obviously he's got another year, but he's his stock is going up. I mean, yeah. you got to deal with all of those things, so you might as well work on it sooner rather than later. And I think the handling of the whole situation was kind of done poorly, just in the sense of, you know, Lars Anderson is reporting on Wednesday, prior like right before the start of Nebraska's NIT game, that Nebraska's already found their next head coach, yeah. and Tim Miles has a game he's got to play in or coach in. There's a game to be played in minutes and all that, and it just feels like it's kind of a mess. And, you know, as we kind of briefly touched on a moment ago, Hank Bounds, the president of the university, which is kind of, I think, still superseded by the chancellor, or however that all works. Yeah. The point is he was heavily involved in the process of looking for potential new coaches. And now that he's gone, what what the heck? Why? Yeah. Why would you leave right before hiring a new basketball coach? And so now it's, I mean, it's just a whole mess. Like it's a Mm -hmm. whole weird thing. And I don't understand, you know, I want to trust Bill Moose and think that he's got the, you know, best plan in place. But 
And I mean, I guess I want to trust him because he got Scott Frost, and yeah. it feels like it's a really good thing for Nebraska. But at the same time, you know, I feel like I could have gotten Scott Frost. I mean, not <laughs> obviously not. I'm kidding, but I'm being facetious. But it's not like Frost was this huge sell. It was come back to your home state. Here's a big check. Yeah. With the help of many, many, you know, you had Matt, Matt Davidson, Davidson yeah. and Tom Osborne, you exactly. know, all these guys helping him out. You know, how much? Yeah. What? If, what if? What if we don't chalk that one up to Moose at all? What if that yeah. was just Moose being taken the credit? And I mean, not that, not that we can't give him credit for that because I mean, obviously Scott Frost is the head coach in Nebraska, yeah. and we've seen improvement in the football program, and that's all well and good. And at some point, you have to, uh, you have to chalk it up to you know the AD or whatever. But the truth is that uh, it's just weird. It's it's a weird situation, and you just gotta. Whatever. Yeah. So I agree with you. You got to get Hoiberg. And if you don't get Hoiberg, you're in a world of hurt. And let's say we don't get Hoiberg. Let's say Nebraska basketball has to go dredge the mid major market for uh, for somebody else. Somebody like, uh, I don't know. I mean, Johnny it. Dawkins. Well, I would really appreciate Johnny Dawkins, but that doesn't even feel like a mid major. That feels <laughs> like that. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, UCF. Let the record reflect that Will Stone is going here and saying that the AAC is not a mid-major conference. They are a power conference, and especially in basketball, frankly, I think the AAC is better than the Pac-12. Oh, yeah. And so I'm saying, I'm saying I don't even know if they can get a Johnny Dawkins. I think Johnny Dawkins could go to a Virginia. I'm not, not that Tony Bennett's leaving. Yeah. I, I do not mean that in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But uh, Vanderbilt just fired their coach. And I feel like Johnny Dawkins would be more likely to go to an SEC team over a Big 12 school, not yeah. or Big 10 school. Not because the Big 10 has been in a bad spot, but Vanderbilt just got two five-stars last the cycle. They recruit better. It's a better situation. You don't have to worry about Nebraska being crazy or whatever. Although it would be... Highly hilariously ironic if <laughs> we got both UCF we got both UCF <laughs> top tier coaches, the hottest coaches on the market, all that stuff. But the truth is that Nebraska got to get something. But let's say they let's say they don't get Hoiberg, and they've got to go hire <laughs> South Dakota State's coach or something like that, something you know crazy like that. What do you think that does in terms of the future of Nebraska? It sets us back another five years because. Truthfully, if you get Hoiberg, there's still a chance those guys might stay because of his reputation. Yeah, yeah. Because he's he an ex NBA coach. Yeah, and he has proven himself. Um, he's proven himself to be a good coach. So you could have guys like Roby and them stay. If you go out and get a mid major coach who, you know, we hired Miles as a mid major, you know, there's no, you know, why would they stay? You know, mm-hmm. the guys, res- there's obviously. The guys respect Miles, and I don't care what rumors you've heard. You know, watch the team on the court, and those guys love Tim Miles. You yeah, know, there's nothing, 100%. There's nothing you can tell me that will convince me any different. But, yeah, if you go out and get a mid-major, you, you set us back another five years. And if you're going to fire Tim Miles and hire another mid-major coach, why not keep Miles the one more year? And then see what happens next year in the coaching market. Like it's no. just. No, I totally agree. It, it's really a Hoiberger bus situation for me, and you know. Yeah. We'll I, see what happens here, and the, yeah, the Hank Bounds, you know, situation got real interesting, especially with what rumors were around uh, Bill Moose earlier this year. Um, 
I don't. I have no idea what that's all about, but who knows what that could. It's all really weird and really murky, and I don't understand it. And it just it feels like there are so many better ways to go about this, so many less confusing ways. Simply fire Miles after the Iowa game, or yeah, or dude, the fact something. that we didn't. Like, I would assume. I mean. I'm assuming Miles is going to meet with Moose tomorrow. Yeah. I thought he was going to meet with him today. Yeah, it felt like that would be the best and situation. And now, so I'm guessing the bound situation kind of yeah. clogged that up. I know. We might not know anything. And and the truth is, now that now that we're dragging our feet on this, what if Prom goes to Alabama and the dominoes fall really quickly mm-hmm. and Fred Hoiberg is suddenly being wooed by Iowa State yeah. a lot quicker? I mean – it's just it's just dumb. It feels like because at this point, you could have fired Miles. I mean, I get I get Bill Moose's policy of not firing coaches in season. I'm I'm not questioning whatever, but it feels like you got to do something quickly. And I'm okay with keeping him ten miles. I, I'm yeah. okay with you know whatever he the the Husker basketball team showed enough in the final ten games of the season for me to think there might actually be something there with Tim Miles yeah. and. I, you know, I don't want to say inflammatory statements about the Husker basketball players, but the truth is there were always questions about work ethic and mental toughness and stuff like that. And it's possible that that was what sunk the ship this year instead of Tim Miles. And obviously some of that is up to Tim Miles to determine. But the point is maybe Tim Miles figured it out and figured out what worked for the team and it got him there. And, and, And maybe you keep him and you just say, We'll see what happens. I mean, obviously, Nebraska's kind of between the rock and the hard place of if they want Hoiberg that badly, they've got to get him now because they're not going to be able to get him next year. They get somebody else next year, but they can't get Hoiberg just like they did with Frost. You know, you've got to either sign Frost now yeah. or never. But, you know, the truth is, oh, goodness, it's just a mess. And you just want to see Nebraska succeed. And as we, you know, thought about it and looked at it, there's talent in Nebraska. They can get it, all this stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. It's a weird situation for Nebraska to be in. And I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. But, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It sure would have been nice if we could have won the NIT or at least played crazy. Yeah, that would have been – that would have made situations even more awkward. <laughs> it would have made everything <laughs> real, 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 real fast. Uh, but, yeah, no, uh, t- Iowa State – Iowa State's out, right? Yeah, Iowa State lost yeah. first round so to Ohio State. What were they seeded? Six. God, that's so weird. That's crazy. Yeah. Not nah, darn Michael Jacobson. <laughs> Sorry, Michael I just slipped that one right in there. Uh, but yeah, so that'll be conclude kind of our topic. We kind of this segment wasn't a whole lot of uh, you know definitive answers because we don't really have a whole lot yeah. of definitive answers. Uh, we really are kind of just throwing darts at this hypothetical dartboard and hoping we come up with some takes that somewhat resonate uh let us know your thoughts we're on twitter at tim hoffman 18 and at will underscore herb underscore stone um you can let us know your thoughts we had some people tweeting with us last week and all that um yeah we'll love to interact with you there but uh if you didn't like our takes feel free to let us know we don't like our takes sometimes too (laughs) but uh yeah so nebraska basketball in the books we've got one more segment of action here we'll talk a little major league baseball uh as opening day is just Four days away here, and we are headed into break. So we'll be back momentarily to talk a little bit of baseball. Uh, see you in a moment. Here we are, y'all. We're back. Um, 
here on uh, Karen, you too. We're here on the Too Deep. Uh, talking lots of sports. I realized we had no music during that break uh, because I botched the uh, controls over here. Oof. I turned up the wrong thing. Uh, but our mics were down. That was the important thing. Yeah. At least I'm hoping they were. If you caught our inter-break conversation, that's just great. We'll we'll uh, edit that out for the podcast version, <laughs> and uh, we'll call it good. But, yeah, anyway, point is we're here talking Major League Baseball and all that good stuff. We'll do some predictions and all that. But for now, we're two games into the season already. How is that possible? Because opening day is on Thursday. Well, it's possible because the Seattle Mariners, my favorite team, and uh, the Oakland A's, possibly my least favorite team. Uh, actually, I take that back. The Yankees are my least favorite team. But uh, the Mariners and the Athletics played a two-game series in Tokyo, Japan, in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, it counted. It was kind of one of those uh, let's say gimmicky uh, things that Major League Baseball does every once in a while to try and uh, boost following around the world as well as uh, invest in foreign baseball and all that good stuff. Uh, but Ichiro Suzuki, the biggest story, obviously, to come out of that, retired, uh, ending his, oh, I don't know, 18, 17 full seasons and a portion of 18th uh, year in uh, baseball and all that good stuff. Yeah. So, um Everybody, I mean, you know, you can go find Bleacher Report videos of people just, I mean, blowing that up. They were just so excited uh, to see Ichiro in Japan end his career where it began with the Oryx Blue Wave and all that good stuff. But truly an all-time great in the form of Ichiro. Uh, but the Mariners did play two legitimate games. They count in the standings. And to my happiness, pleasure, whatever, uh, the Mariners won both of them. And they tipped off at, well, First pitch was at 4.30 a.m. both days. And uh, the first one, I got lucky enough. I woke up naturally at 4.30 in the morning and rolled over, saw that it was 4.30. I watched the top <laughs> of the first. I went right back to bed. And I woke up just in time for the bottom of the ninth just to see the win. And the next day, I woke up just in time for extra innings. And the Mariners are now uh, undefeated in one-run games and extra inning games. So I'm very excited. Obviously, very small sample size. And I fully expect the Mariners to be terrible this year. But... <laughs> Good start to the year. Love the wins when they happen, and oh, yeah. you like fun baseball and all that good stuff. But, um, you know, it'll be an interesting year. You know, the Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, we talked a little bit on a previous show about how clogged up the free agency market was mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Um, and there are still guys who are unsigned, and we're moments away from the start of the baseball season. Moments, I should say, days away from the start of the baseball season. Dallas Keuchel doesn't have a team. Craig Kimbrell doesn't have a team. Um to all that good stuff. So they'll be in, you know, extended spring training anyway once they sign and they've got to deal with all that kind of stuff. But the truth is um, not much you can do about that. And, you know, at this point, uh, the teams kind of are set and somebody's going to add those guys at some point. But it's just weird. It's a weird situation to be in for baseball. But um, the point is the Red Sox are probably still going to be good. The Astros are still going to be good. There's not a lot of parity from year to year in baseball. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not... Okay, parody is most definitely the wrong word. I, I did not mean to use that there. But there's not a lot of change, I should no. say, in baseball. That um, it takes time to get good. It takes time to get bad. It It's one of those things. And typically, barring a few exceptions, you don't go from being really bad to a playoff, you know, contender slash world champion threat yeah. in a season. And so it kind of seems like we'll have... Uh, okay, I, I should also rephrase and say that, yes, you can go from very good to very bad really fast if you just sold off everybody, kind of like the Mariners did. Um, <laughs> but that's just, it's weird. It's it's 
it's a strange situation for baseball and it just feels like it's a little different because of the fact that there's nine players and a pitching rotation and all that stuff it's not quite the same as oh yeah here's our basketball starting five and if we add Kyrie and Kevin Durant and Zion Williamson our team can suddenly be good again it's a very different picture in baseball and even you know different than football and stuff like that but we got we got a lot of divisions, and we've got predictions for those divisions. And I don't know, you got any thoughts before we get into predictions, just of baseball in general? Yeah, the thing you know, you talked about teams kind of shifting and moving, and there's not there's not a lot of you know evenness among the uh, divisions. But the one you look at is NL East. Um, you know, Atlanta wasn't great last year, uh, ninety and seventy two, but they kind of ran away. Didn't. You know, they won that division by eight games over Washington and Philly. And, you know, Harper, Bryce Harper's in Philly now. And, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen in that division of, yeah. you know, if there's if there's one spot where a team goes from, you know, 500 to a playoff, I think that's, that's a place you have to look. But, you know, other than that, we can get into our predictions here. Who you got? Well, I mean, real quick, I would say that, yeah, the – it, uh, you know, last year the AL West was one of the more exciting divisions yeah. in baseball, kind of with the AL East too. The AL East was fun too, but the AL West had a lot of switching places. The, yeah. And then the Astro or the uh, Athletics made a run at the end to sneak into the playoffs and all that. But yeah, it looks like the NL East will be that this year with the Braves, the young, hotshot Braves who won the division last year, paired with now the Scherzer-led, Bryce Harper-less, uh, Juan Soto Nationals, and yeah. the. Um, monster Phillies out there with JT Realmuto and um, Harper and all that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to see what the NL East will present this year. But, yeah, um, crud, let's look at predictions here. Yeah. Um, AL East, I've got to take the Red Sox. Yeah, I don't see anything uh, that can change my mind on that uh, subject there. The Yan- you know, the Yankees are going to be in the playoffs. The Yankees oh, yeah. are going to be good. Yeah, they um, they added James Paxton from yep. the Mariners, and I mean I feel like we're talking about the Mariners a lot, but the Mariners did do everything to help every <laughs> other team this year. They traded Paxton to the, you know, uh, Yankees. They traded Diaz to the Mets, Cano to the Mets. Um, they traded everybody to everyone. The Phillies got a couple of their players. You yep. know, it's all that stuff. But yeah, I, I sorry to cut you off on the Yankees train. We can get back to that, but I, I don't see the Yankees catching them. Yeah, it's, you know, did they add enough to kind of close that gap in? Like you said, you never know. You know, they were eight games behind. You know, if the Red Sox are four games worse and the Yankees are four games better, you never really know. But, yeah. well, that probably will be the most exciting division. And you got, you got the Rays, too, who were 90 yeah. and 72. Blake you Snell. Know, last year. And, Cy Young winner. And your Baltimore Orioles are predicted to win 53 games? 58. 58 uh, games. But that is the lowest season opening projection ever in the history of like the sports betting you know, world or whatever. So yeah. Place your bets. Yeah, oh yeah. Bet the under. Bet the under. <laughs> They're going to be really, really terrible. <laughs> Ooh, yikes. Um, yeah, AL Central. Thoughts on that one? Cleveland. Cle- yeah, I got to say Cleveland too. That is the most boring division in baseball. Oh, it was the, uh, really for most of the year, it looked like they were going to be the team that or the division that shouldn't have had a playoff <laughs> yeah. representative. And I, th- I think even so, they finished with fewer wins than both of the wildcard teams. But, um, you know, it's how it goes. It's how it goes. And, yeah, the AL yeah. Central is a mess. The White Sox are still uh, a little bit away in their rebuild. Um, they've got more time to 
kind of deal that. The Royals are right in the thick of a rebuild. The Tigers are the Tigers. The Indians are good. And yeah. um, the Twins, they're that weird team that, like, you can't decide if they're going to be good, can't decide if they're going to be bad. So I feel like they'll win 80 games and be yeah. whatever. I don't know. AL West? Uh, Houston. Yeah, I got Houston, too. As much as a Mariner fan as I am, and if you look at the standings right now, the Mariners are two games ahead of everybody. Well, a game ahead of everybody, I guess, but uh, well ahead of everybody. That's the important thing. How do you see that division? You know, you got Houston, Oakland, yep. Seattle, and uh, Los Angeles. How do you kind of rank hey, those? don't forget about the Rangers. The, Rangers, the Rangers are there, too. Um, I mean, I, I think the Astros obviously finished number mm-hmm. one. That team is too good. Their bullpen is stacked. Um, yeah, I won't take too many shots, but... Um, they were willing to sign a wife beater in the form of, uh, oh, crud, what's it? Oh, oh, uh, Ozuna. Robert, Roberto Ozuna, the wife yeah. beater. They signed him to win games, and, yeah, he helped them win games, but it also compromised their integrity. But yeah. point is, they are willing to win at all costs, and I think that's what they're going to do. So I see them taking first. Uh, Angels are going to get third in the division. A's are going to be decent again. I feel like they'll probably be second, and the Mariners are going to, finish fourth with the rangers last the rangers are the most uninspiring team in baseball because they play in a way bigger market than the royals and they are not overshadowed in dallas by the cubs like the white Sox are you know like in that in in that sense so the rangers they just they should be good and they were good for the late 2000s and now they're just really meh and i think that that's what we're going to see from them this year so i like uh astros taking that division i think i think our wild card teams this year for the al will be the a's and the yankees um just kind of like it was last year honestly yeah. i see the exact same playoff picture for the american league this year um uh, unless the mariners mess around and do something ridiculous <laughs> i mean obviously i don't i don't think there's any way the mariners can make the playoffs let it be known that i'm not homering onto the mariners being good this year but i just know that in the grand scheme of my life the the most Mariners thing that could happen would be trying to be bad and making the playoffs. Making the playoffs. So I don't know. Let's bump over to the NL really quick. Um, start us off with whatever division you want. Yeah, let's start NL East. You know, we talked about it a little bit earlier. I'll go Phillies. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go Phillies in the NL East. Um, I, f- I think you have to pick the Phillies at this yeah. point. Not. Not necessarily like they will win it all in that division. Like they won't necessarily win that division. I don't know. I don't want to get old takes exposed. I don't feel yeah. real great about that prediction. But at the same time, they have all the heckin' stars. I mean, the Bryce Harper, Real Muto, Gene Segura, uh, Reese Hoskins, yeah. Aaron Nola. I mean, they've got everybody on that team. That team is stacked. And that's. I think that's going to be a division kind of, you know, not as bad as the AL Central, but that's going to be a division where you might have – probably one team over 500 or two. in the AL East NL East no 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 way because the the Braves have Acuna and Ozzy Albies and Dansby Swanson my all-time yeah. hero from Vanderbilt that team is going to be good I think the the Nats as much as Bryce Harper means to that team I think they'll be okay the Mets I agree will probably be bad unless for whatever reason, they can get their stuff together, yeah. but they they're already a dumpster fire, and they've think the headlines that have come out in the last couple of days show a lot of dysfunction. So I don't see. I, I agree with you there, and the Marlins are also really bad. Yeah. So unless unless the the Nationals do like I think they will, like I can, I can okay. So I guess your take wasn't as bad as I thought it was <laughs> originally. See, but but I do think that that division 
could be anywhere from three teams above 500, even maybe four teams above 500 yeah. with the Mets if they can get their stuff together. They have talent, but they are managed terribly. Um, but that division, I think that division has the most room to be either really good or really terrible. Yeah. And so we could see how that one shakes out, with the exception of the Phillies. I think the Phillies are set. Yeah. I don't know. NL Central? Um, I'll go Cubs. This is a very... Brewers won that division last year, didn't Correct. they? Brewers were uh, one game ahead. Yep. They won. Christian Yelich. That was a final day, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. They played game 163. Yep. Play-in game. Yep. That's correct. Um, But, yeah, that's also, you know, they had, uh, NL Central had four teams over 500 last oh, yeah. year with uh, uh, Brewers, Cubs, Cardinals, and Pirates. And I think the Reds are going to be decent this year. Yeah. So, I mean, that division could be the best division in baseball in the sense of having the most teams over 500 um i think i think i think the cardinals are going to win that division they they added paul goldschmidt in the offseason they've been good the last couple years and i think that they'll take the next step um this year i i forget they added one other person that i i can't remember off the top of my head but i i like the way the cardinals look but i agree with you that division will be interesting just like it kind of always is in a west rockies really yeah I mean, that's not that bad of a take. No, I'm it's just, not. I'm just kind of <laughs> firing from the hip. Uh, yeah, no, I I definitely like that. I mean, the Dodgers still going to be good. I mean, Corey Seager is going to be back. Um, obviously, they have no Machado, but yeah. they they have plenty of other people. They have Justin Turner. They have Kershaw still. Yeah. As long as you have Kurt, Clayton Kershaw and the young core that they do, Kiki Hernandez, Jock Pedersen, Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger, all those guys. Um they're gonna be they're gonna be solid and yeah. but I like I like your pick of the Rockies Nolan Arenado resigned extension they got the Coors effect mm-hmm. they've got everything I, I like that pick that's not a bad pick uh, as long as you didn't say the Padres that's the important thing the Padres are gonna be terrible sorry Taylor DeCorey if you're <laughs> listening which you probably aren't but if you are yeah the Padres are gonna be bad this year with uh, Jacob Nix they're like stud ace of the future is a Tommy John and uh, Will Myers got. The Buku yeah. extension. I mean, that team is going to be bad for quite a while. But maybe Machado someday will get them there. Yeah. Their farm system is like the best in baseball. And so maybe in like three, four years, we'll be talking about how good the Padres are. But maybe that team is terrible. And they're going to lose 90 games this year. So, uh, wild cards? Uh, Brewers and Dodgers. Man, I, I would I would agree with that. Did the Cubs make the playoffs this year, this past year? Yeah, I think I think we got... Brewers and Dodgers too. Actually, I don't. I think the Cubs will get shut out this year. Left out, I should say, not shut out, but left oh, yeah. out of the playoffs. Because I, I, I picked the Cardinals, so I think your full playoff picture in my in my book is Rockies, Dodgers, Cardinals, uh, Phillies, and Brewers. Yeah. And I also like possibly the Nationals. If uh, well, wait, hold on. Yes, Nash. No, Braves. Braves. I like the Braves. The Braves made the playoffs last year. Yes. Because the Nash- the Phillies didn't. Yep. So we'll see. We'll see how that all shakes out, but uh, it'll be interesting. Yeah, who you got uh, coming out I know, for Ooh, World Series? World Series? Screw it. Phillies. Give Phillies? me the Phillies. Phillies. Let me just, I'll just pour all the gas on the Bryce Harper, Real Muto fire. Let's do it. And in the AL, I got Houston. No, Boston. Houston. <laughs> I don't know. The AL's tough. It's all going to come down to who can pitch the better four-game series or seven-game series, and screw it. Let's go Houston. Let's go, go Houston Phillies World Series. I, I'll, I'll go, I'll go Brewers. Even Ooh. though, I, even though I did, <laughs> even though I didn't pick them to win that division, I picked you, the Cubs. You think they're going to run the? Oh uh, my I, I, gosh. I think they're going to run the table. You got that it. is incredible. 
There, there's my hot take for you the day. You heard it here first. The Brewers are going to make the World Series. From Tim Hoffman. Yeah. Ale? Uh, let's go Boston. Yeah. I think that's a solid pick. Yeah. I really can't can't have any debate with that one. But one thing for sure, it will be a quite interesting baseball season, and it will be interesting to see how the players and the whole situation with new rule changes and stuff like that is all going to shake out. Yeah. Players aren't thrilled right now. Um you know, with all that, and it'll just be interesting to see how it all works out. But, um, no, baseball, interesting and worth four days of wait. So yep. I'm going to be on my couch Thursday night, 7 p.m. The Mariners are on ESPN, which means they're going to get railed, and I'm going to watch it. So Mariners-Red Sox open the season, and we'll see how it all shakes out. But, yeah, Tim, any closing thoughts here on the today's episode? Not really. There were some uh, really – Turn on TV this afternoon. Weird changes or weird possible changes to the NFL. Of they wanted to adapt the AAF uh, on sidekick rule, allowing oh, yeah. them to do fourth and fifteen. Hey, I'd I'd be all for that. And also, the worst one was allowing the league offices to um, chime in on ejecting players for like helmet. Ooh. Helmet. Yeah, Ooh. that <laughs> is <laughs> interesting. Yeah, so there's that. We can talk about that another day. But yeah, I'm sure we'll. That I'm sure we'll get there thoughts. at some point. Well. Uh, that's all we have for today's episode of The Two Deep. And uh, for Tim Hoffman and Will Stone, we're uh, signing off today. But uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully, with uh, some more exciting stuff. So uh, back soon.